This is Viterbi Voices, your chance to hear stories about research, classes, student life, and more. Directly from our students, faculty, and other members of our engineering community. All right here at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering. Welcome back into Viterbi Voices. Uh, my name is Paul Ledesma, Director of Undergraduate Admission here at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering. And my name is Audrey Roberts. I'm a junior studying mechanical engineering here at USC. And as usual, we are your hosts for this episode. Uh, this episode is another in our alumni series. And who is on this episode, Audrey? This one's with Chris Morgan. Yes, Chris. Chris Morgan, an old, old friend of mine. He uh, studied computer science here uh, back in the early 2000s. He graduated with his bachelor's degree in 2004, went on to get a master's in software engineering, uh, also from USC and the Viterbi School in 2007. He has a uh, really awesome career in software engineering. He's worked across a lot of fantastic companies, big and small. He started with Boeing, went to a small contractor called Applied Signal Technology, went on to Google, did some other things with smaller companies, went back to Google. He's now at Google again. He loves Google. Uh, and this was a, a really cool conversation to catch up with him, kind of add it to those stories of alumni, uh, alumni stories that we've been doing so far, um, and, and kind of his memories of this place and what he's been doing since then and his time. Um, but he and his family live up in, uh, in the Seattle area working at Google, and um, he, he does some really cool things. Yeah, I think this is a really cool episode for learning about the perspective of a small company versus a big company, yeah. um, because definitely as engineering students, um, as we look for internships and full-time work, that's really a question. It's like, oh, there's so many huge engineering companies and then a lot of really small ones right, doing right. cool work too. So I think it can help people um, kind of answer that question for themselves. Yeah, definitely. And I think that sometimes students come in thinking that their perception of success or others' perception of their success is based on the perception of the quality of the company they work at. There's all this, there's always this big like, well, I don't know if I want to work at this company because they're not as popular as like Google or well known totally, as Google, yeah. right? Is that a thought that goes on people's minds? I think less so in mechanical engineering. Mm. Um, I would say I definitely get that sense from my friends in computer science. It's almost like kind of when you're applying to schools, sure, it's, yeah. it's all about ranking reputation. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, I think it's easy to say, oh, I work at X company and yeah. kind of, you know, get some pride from the reaction on that. But <laughs> the reality is there's so many um, large companies and small companies doing great work and you can like, there's just a million things you yeah. can do. So um, yeah. Or in Chris's case, you never know when that small company is going to be bought by said larger company and then you end up working at them anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, you know, a lot of them too, like even if you're working in a big company, you might be on a really small team working on like a something really niche. So mm -hmm. There's, it goes everywhere. It goes which way, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, fair warning before we get into Chris's conversation. This was a conversation done over kind of a video interview. And so you can hear Audrey and I just like normal, uh, but we are patching into kind of a uh, kind of a phone call essentially for, for Chris. So uh, there will be a kind of a difference in the audio there, but I think it all comes in pretty clear. And also at some point, Audrey does head out because she has to go to class. And so Chris and I continue the conversation. Uh, but we didn't, Audrey, I promise we didn't go that much longer actually, <laughs> we got through the, the bulk of it uh but i want you to enjoy uh chris morgan uh graduate of computer science how you doing buddy not too bad how are you i'm good i'm good thanks for doing this and thanks for um 
rescheduling. Uh, I, I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> minor, minor snowpocalypse. That was fine. Yeah, I saw the uh, I saw the uh, the photos of all the snow you guys were getting, and I was like. That is just nuts. And so to let people know, we, we had this booked um, last week and all, all of a sudden it was just like, yeah, no internet's out. Can't, can't do it. And I saw the pictures you and your wife were posting and I was like, this is nuts. How much snow happened in that one day? So in that, that first day, I think we got nine or 10 inches and then we got another eight or nine inches overnight and over the course of the next couple of days. So I, I shoveled four times. Um, oh my gosh. Which was exciting. That's nuts. Yeah. Well, but then I saw Newfoundland got like yeah. almost three feet the other day. So I, I showed I that, that to my kids. They were they were less impressed with I, our snow after that. I saw people opening their front doors and nothing but snow, and they couldn't get out. And then uh, open their garage doors and couldn't get out. It was just crazy. And and just so you know, weather update here from LA. Uh, it kind <laughs> of rained last night, so we are dealing with very similar scenarios. <laughs> Actually, I, I just walked over here, and the the sun was out. It wasn't raining. Um, cool. So awesome. Yeah. Well, welcome to the podcast and thanks for doing it. Um, and, and you know, obviously I know you pretty well, but, uh, Audrey is first time meeting you, uh, and everybody that's listening. Um, why don't we start with, uh, a brief, uh, background of, of, of where you came from? Uh, like if I remember correctly, you, you grew up in Corona. Is that good? Yep. Yeah. So up until about five years ago, I grew up in like a 30 by 30 mile box in Southern California. So I was I was born in Anaheim. Um, when I was a baby, I lived in Garden Grove for 18 months and then moved to Corona. I uh, lived in Corona for 18 years till I went out to USC. Um, I was the, the son of a father who was a big UCLA fan. Um, but when, <laughs> when, we, when we visited USC and UCLA on the same day, we agreed that we weren't going to uh, have a discussion until we visited both schools. And we got done with both schools and he said, I hate to say this, but I think uh, USC is a better choice for you. So uh, he's like, I felt like they cared a lot more about you. That's cool. Um, so yeah, um, went to school at SC, uh, worked a lot of jobs there, um, graduated, uh, worked at Accenture for a little while. Um, I was definitely convinced. I was one of those kids. That's so I got. I got my first computer when I was six years old. Yeah. Um, at a drugstore. Which is what they use for computers. Speaking up some Tylenol, uh, and uh, I'll have that PC over there. That'd be great. <laughs> so my my uncle worked at uh, Save On Drugs, and they were selling computers for Christmas. Really? Um, and he bought two of them and gave one to me for Christmas and said, "Figure out how this works." Um, and it was the Commodore sixty four. So of course, I learned how to program games on it. Yeah. Um, and so I played with that for a long time, and I was convinced that I was going to be a, a computer science, well, uh, an engineer. At the time, computer science wasn't quite uh, a thing that was in my vocabulary. Right. Um, but uh, so I, I had that, decided I was going to be a computer software person. Um, then as I went through high school, I realized consulting was a thing. And I was convinced when I came to USC that I was going to be a consultant when I grew up. And so I had a business minor, graduated, went to work at Accenture Consulting. Um, didn't like wearing suits every day, it turns out. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> So I, uh, I ended up going to work at Boeing, um, worked there for three and a half years working on uh, ground systems for satellites. Um, that was really exciting. Um, they paid for my master's degree at USC via the Distance Education Network, which was great. Um, but then I realized I wanted to go work at a smaller company. So I went to work uh, at a company that doesn't exist anymore um, called Applied Signal Technology. Um, they had an office in Anaheim Hills, 
so I didn't have to go up to Sunnyvale where they were. Um, so I worked there for, again, about three and a half years um, until they were acquired by Raytheon. Mm-hmm. And that kind of defeated the purpose of working at a smaller company. Um, <laughs> so that was right around when my son was um, due to be born. So my plan was to wait for my son to be born, take a bunch of leave, go interview for new jobs, and figure out where to work after that. Um, about two months before my son was born, Google messaged me on LinkedIn and said, hey, would you like to come interview? And I said, of course I would. Um, so, so I did that and I got an offer about a month before my son was supposed to be born. I said, Hey, can I wait until after my son's born? And they said, sure. But if you get hired before he's born, you can use our paternity leave. And I said, how soon can I start? Um, (laughs) So like tomorrow, is that good? Is that good for you? Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was discussion between my wife and I about borrowing one of the corporate jets if she wanted to labor early while I was at uh, orientation. Not in oh my gosh. Actually, that, didn't, that didn't have to happen. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I worked at Google in Irvine, which is now called Google Orange County um, for three and a half, four years. Um, and at that point we had my daughter and realized our house in Huntington Beach was too small and realized that we didn't want to pay for a bigger house in Huntington Beach. And so we went, we went looking for places that, uh, had Google and Boeing uh, nearby each other and ended up in the Pacific Northwest in Washington. Um, my wife no longer works at, at Boeing. She works at Aerojet Rocketdyne now. Um, she's the smart one in the family. She's the rocket scientist, literally. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so we both live up here now with the two kids in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I spent about two years trying out smaller companies um, up here in between my Google stints, but now I'm back at Google after for about two years this time. So I've been at Google for a total of seven or eight years now. Wow. Wow. Very cool, man. And so when you, you're at USC and you studied computer engineering, computer science, um, how did you end up choosing? I mean, there's so many things that are related to computers, right? And, Mm -hmm. and you said in in your intro, you were going to be an engineer and computer science wasn't necessarily in your, in your lexicon. How did, how did you go about choosing that? And, and this, what to a lot of our listeners may not know, it's kind of a combo of hardware software. Uh, yep. Was that just the indecisiveness of your time already? Or <laughs> uh, No, it was actually a very, <laughs> it doesn't apply anymore because computer science is in the School of Engineering now. But back then, computer science discipline was in the Letters, Arts, and Sciences College, which meant the most important thing that it meant to me was that I would have to take three years of a foreign language. And I was sick of taking foreign languages. Yeah, back in the day, and it so had I, that requirement. Yeah, yeah no longer, no so longer I, does anymore. Not anymore. Um, but so I, I looked basically at, at the time, computer engineering, computer science. The only fundamental difference between a straight CS degree on the computer science side was not taking the compilers class, which, in retrospect, <laughs> uh, I wish I would have taken. Yeah. But, um, but it was cool. So, so like that's I literally called the office because we didn't really have the World Wide Web. Right. Um, I called the office and I said, the brochure says I don't have to take foreign language if I do computer engineering, computer science. I said, yep, that's correct. I said, cool. That's what I want to do. <laughs> um, so, so that's how I, I decided that. It meant I got to take a lot of cool electrical engineering classes and I actually ended up TAing a couple of the electrical engineering classes that I took to, to make some money on the side. Awesome. Um, so that worked out well. But uh, And when I worked at Applied Signal Technology, I spent a lot of time with FPGA designers. And so being able to speak their language uh, helped a lot in that context. That's awesome. Uh, and while you were here, you did a lot of stuff. You, you were definitely, uh, you were never not busy. 
that is that is true. <laughs> and and I'm remembering a few different things. I remember you researching. Uh, I'm pointing. You can't see me, but I'm out my window to yep. EEB. I remember you were doing research in graphics or something uh, in the basement. Yep. Yeah. So I was I was a, a engineering merit research. Basically, I, I was looking for every program that involved me getting more money um, because I I was a trustee scholar, so my my tuition was paid for, but I still had to pay rent and eat, sure, um, and and pay for gas and parking. Um, so so the engineering merit research was a program where you got a stipend that you could earn by working hours and research. Um, and I worked with a biology professor actually in. Um, the electrical engineering building That's right. on trying to trying to teach high school students biology via video games. I remember um, this. You're like flying through yeah. like blood canal or like veins and stuff like. I remember your yeah. graphics and I remember this. Yeah. So we we had a team, a very a very multidisciplinary team. Um, we had an artist who was amazing and did all of that cool bloodstream um, stuff, and we had. Uh, a guy named Jason, not Jason Scott, but a different Jason, um, who did like a lot of the uh, infrastructure for uh, rendering all these graphics because the cloud wasn't a thing back then. So we had a bunch of very extensive workstations. Gigaleski, Jason, Jason Gigaleski, Gigaleski. Yeah, yeah, he's yep. still he's still here, by the way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he and I uh, in the summer times we actually we would get to work very early to avoid traffic so we can leave very early. He still does that. Um, he gets here at like yeah. five or six in the morning and leaves at two. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. It was, it was very <laughs> convenient. Um, but yeah, so, so he and I worked together. We, we had a side thing that we were also doing where we would uh, build like kind of a, an interactive multimedia classroom sort of experience that mm -hmm. teachers could use, which is basically what you guys use now that is not at all related to what we built, but yeah, was envisioned by what we built. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so the video game thing was, was super cool. Um, the main thing that we learned was that high school students will always play the pathogen in a battle between the immune system and pathogen. Um, <laughs> so they, they learned very well how to effectively uh, spread a virus within humans. Um, so they learned that part of biology. Hey, y'all, sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know that we have a number of campus visit programs available to you right now. If you want to check out what campus is like, if you want to learn more about the Viterbi School of Engineering, go to viterbi.link slash visit. That's V-I-T-E-R-B-I dot link slash visit, where you can learn about our Viterbi visit experiences that happen on most Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We have some virtual events that happen on occasional weekdays and occasional Saturdays. Plus, we have some transfer virtual admission sessions where you can learn all about how to get those courses ready for transferring. We want to meet you. We will have lots of opportunities opportunities to do it and it's happening all summer long but get your registration in now at viterbi.link slash visit hope to see you soon awesome <laughs> that's great and then you also did um cycling if i remember I correctly you were you were a big road road uh road runner out there. yeah so i i raced mountain bikes starting when i was 13 um when i and then when i came to usc there wasn't a mountain biking team but I saw these guys at the, uh, the club events. It's like the first week after school starts, um, riding rollers on road bikes out in the, on Truesdale Parkway. And riding rollers is not a skill that's easy to do. You can watch that on YouTube. You can watch people fail at doing that. Well, well, uh, help, me, help me understand what this is. 
So like uh, on a stationary bike, right, your bike is kind of locked in mm. to something. Rollers are just these three rollers that you have to balance on while going nowhere. Oh, um, on a real so bike. It was a, on a real bike, yeah. So if you fell off, uh, you either fell down really hard or you started going really fast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> forward. Um, so it's a, it's a great party trick, and it was a really, it was a really effective way to get uh, alumni to notice us at homecoming to buy our shirts, which funded most of our activities throughout the year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I saw these guys and they were like, Hey, well, we don't do mountain bike racing, but we do road racing. And I said, well, I guess I can learn to ride my bike on the road. Um, (laughs) and so I did that and we, uh, I was also conveniently the guy with the pickup truck, which meant that I drove to all the races. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, we, we were not as well funded back then as they are now. Um, I've, I've been paying attention to them for a while. Um, they they can have like only four people stay in a hotel room now versus when we used to go, we it's would have six island. guys staying in a hotel room <laughs> that we paid for two people. And the guy would come over and be like, why do you have six bikes? Like, well, well, there's three races this weekend and each of us has a bike for each race. <laughs> and these other people are just here visiting. Their room is too crowded. So they're putting their bikes here. Like, <laughs> you know, we have people sleeping on the floor and in the bathtub. Yeah, so we were... It was it was a, a fun experience. Um, we sent a few people to nationals, which was cool. Um, and yeah, we actually we met a lot of Trojan alumni who work uh, for various bicycle companies. Oh. So at the time, uh, Cliff Barr, the vice president of sales or marketing or something, worked or was a former Trojan. So uh, we had all the Cliff Bars and Cliff Shots that we ever needed. Um, <laughs> they also they also paid for us to fly to. Uh, fly to nationals which was cool um and then we would have a couple people that worked at various bike companies that we that would get a really really good deal on bikes and stuff so that was nice and for people another way that this is this is very much like uh this is like lance armstrong style like tour to tour de france cycling right yeah uh we didn't that's the way um, i summarize it i know you're not, <laughs> you're, yeah, i know you're qualifying yourself but uh yeah no we were we were pretty fast um it was a lot of fun. It was, it was always fun trying to figure out. I, I had a very understanding roommate, so it was, uh, it was easy for me to have room for my two bikes in our apartment. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, had I not had a very understanding roommate, that might've been more of a challenge. I remember at the time, it's correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember this story where like you guys would go to races and you'd be the only team without like the matching uniform. And at some point in your tenure, you didn't, you like design the uniform like this, you know, the skin tight, you know, yep. like the cycling, but all cardinal and gold, like with Tommy on it and yeah. everything, right? Yeah. So we, so the very first race that we went to, like we had, we had restarted the club. Basically, the guys I saw on Truesdale Parkway had never been part of the club until that week. Um, <laughs> and so what happened was we, we didn't really know the rules fully around what what a uniform meant. Yeah. Um, and we went to UC Santa Barbara for our first race, and it was in late January, early February. And it was hailing, and we had we had made like I had designed. Well, Joe had actually designed. One of the other guys who was much more artistic than me had designed the jerseys, but I did all the business end of like making sure we could buy them for a cheap price and then sell them to alumni to offset our costs. But um, we we showed up, and four of us had black arm warmers that like are these long sleeves that you put over top of the the short sleeve jerseys and. Uh, black leg warmers or black knee warmers 
and different color shoe covers. And the officials were like, no, a uniform is a uniform. Like they all have to match. Because <laughs> some, some people had red and some people had red. And this was early in the morning and it's hailing and we were not in a great mood. But the story of that is basically we all raced in short sleeves and shorts in a hailstorm. Um, <laughs> and then we drove around Santa Barbara looking for a laundromat. <laughs> at that time, everybody only had one set of uniforms for a three-day weekend of cycling. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, yeah. But, we, yeah, we, uh, we did jersey orders every year um, with various different companies. Um, learned a lot about uh, branding from the university and which color red is the appropriate color red. Cardinal, and, uh, cardinal, not red, right? Right. Yes. There's a very specific Pantone Cardinal. PMS two hundred one. Uh, I know it well. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also we also got into a disagreement at one point with them because uh, the football team had black, uh, like warm up. Yeah. And so we said, "Cool, we can put black into the jersey," and they were like, "No, you can't." <laughs> we're like, "But why not?" <laughs> they said, "Because you're not the football team." So, <laughs> Different rules apply. My, Different rules apply for yeah. the football team. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun. We we had a lot of adventures and misadventures. Um, thankfully, no one ever got seriously hurt, so that was good. Uh, we did have our share of crashes. Yeah. And very uncomfortable rides back in the in the pickup oh. truck with five bikes in the back and four people trying to sit in my <laughs> non extended cab Chevy S10 <laughs> from <laughs> from Davis back to uh, USC on a Sunday. That's a rough drive. Yeah. <laughs> Tape deck, CD. What do you got in there? You got you, back. In the uh, we had we had a CD, so we had we had my so you, my CD player. It was a one disc CD player and a binder full book, of CDs. Yep. Yeah. I actually I was I was cleaning out my office uh, this during during the snowpocalypse because the power was out and uh, found my old CD uh, case, which was. Pretty impressive. Mostly, mostly burned CDs. <laughs> most people, most people don't know this. Did you ever? Uh, this is why I'm gonna look at Audrey because this is the first time where where I'm gonna mention how old we are. <laughs> but did you ever have a binder of CDs? I did actually. You did? I wow, did. really? Yes. You were I... burning yourself, like that we're talking about here. Yes, I am. Oh. I am familiar with this. Oh yeah. my goodness, that's crazy. <laughs> I thought you would just be all MP3s. No, no, I I had I had CDs. Wow, crazy. I I feel like. And most of my life, I, like, until I was, like, maybe, like, 12, I listened to CDs. Yeah, that's probably right, I guess. Yeah. That's probably right. Because cars didn't have, like, an aux cord that's cable true. until, that's true. you know, more recently. Yeah, now my car doesn't have yeah. a CD player. <laughs> so, oh, like, wow. I don't even know. Even if I had a CD, I didn't know what to do with it. How do you play music? I, um, all, all through my phone. Oh, I see, I Like, see. Bluetooth or anything else. But I have, I have literally no actual device to play a cd i have a blu-ray player that is literally <laughs> collecting dust but that's the only thing i own in my life that can actually take any type of disc oh wow my car has a cd player really yeah uh, I, mine doesn't I discovered the cd player in my car the other day uh in the glove box okay. i just assumed it didn't have a cd player but then i looked and i was getting something out of the glove box and i was like oh this is a cd player well now i need to so, go look yeah yeah maybe it's in your glove box <laughs> Blow my mind. I've owned that car for nearly four years. I don't know. Yeah, I my car is three years old. Yeah, but even though if I found it, I'd be like, cool. I don't, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> All right. So you, you're definitely into cycling, definitely doing some research. Um, and at some point, you, you started 
working for me was the first thing that we did uh was that e-day 2k was that like the first like big volunteer day were you, were you a freshman at that time a first year student i was i was a freshman uh, wow. i was I was looking for every opportunity yeah. to make any amount of money. Well, yeah, one day, uh, come come make some money, come volunteer for a stipend. I think is what it was. I think so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't have a great memory of that particular event. I, I remember oh, yeah. lots of panels and stuff, and I remember I I listened to Jason's episode, and I <laughs> I remember him saying like during uh. uh meet USC or whatever the overnight thing was. It's like, okay, everybody, you get, you get three people, you get three people, you get yeah. three people. Cause yeah. <laughs> and again, very, very understanding roommates. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To my, to my yeah. We were stringing a lot of stuff together kind of at, at that time. Um, and we, E-Day, E-Day was like this big, like one day event where it was like invite a bunch of high school juniors onto campus. And we had like seminars and talks and stuff like that go learn about aerospace here and aerospace there and we consolidated that down to i think more comprehensive visit programs and then of course we have like our our big expo in the fall that we do some cool stuff at um and then that eventually turned into what we started working on with the ambassadors and and you were i think one of the the youngest ones that we we brought in uh and then also as for those that have already listened to jason's podcast i don't think we need to retread a lot of that stuff but uh, basically you were one of the people that was like, just basically dumb enough to say, sure. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's make this CD ROM. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly it was that perfect, like at right place, right time. Cause this is when you were doing research in that multimedia world of that video game element. And I remember we would walk down to that lab and Jason would be like hunkered over in the corner on his computer. <laughs> We'd ask him a question every once in a while, but we were trying to figure out like video rendering and what we needed to do, like how to get this all onto a CD I'm having like I'm having these like little like uh, uh, little little blips of memory. But are you are you piecing yeah. that together too? Do you remember that? Oh yeah, no, I remember. I remember that. I remember learning what B roll was for the first time. B roll, uh, yeah, that's right. I remember. Uh, I certainly was not the person who taught you how to edit video in Premiere because I was learning as I went. I thought it was um, you. Or you know what? You know what I, it might well, have been. So I might have. I might have taught you everything I knew, which was very little. <laughs> so you know what it might have been? It might have been Jason giving you that tutorial and then when he left you gave me that tutorial Maybe. but that is literally i remember you like i don't know if you remember an ohe 106 at oh, the yeah. time oh, i remember like i didn't even have an office i had like a cubicle right uh and like we had cubicles over there and i was i didn't have a cubicle i was sharing a cubicle Oh gosh! <laughs> and so it's like I, we were just sitting there like hunkered over my my desk like this is how we do this this is how we do that and i still remember that that was just amazing stuff i also remember um we got that very expensive camera yes and i yes. i got a press pass to be on the sideline for the that's usc right. washington game oh that's so and, cool and i took a bunch of video and then we came back and like two or three days later we were going to edit it and it was gone the camera and, like the gone. camera had been no, the video was gone okay. from the football game. No, the camera was not gone. There was a point in which the camera went missing. Oh, I do remember okay. that. I don't, but I don't know if that was it, but. <laughs> but, but yeah, so we, we spent a long time looking for that footage and it was very sad that it was gone. It never, it never made it onto any of But you got pictures. to go on the field though. That was pretty awesome. I did. And the press box. Um, I was told not to talk to the University of Washington football players. Because um, <laughs> apparently I was, I was taunting the punter because he was bad at bad at punting at the time <laughs> you have a press pass and you're out there actually like cheering people and taunting that's great yeah, you're, apparently you're not supposed to do that <laughs> they frown they frown upon that yeah um 
And then uh, you were you were kind of the one that kind of carried it through for multiple years because you know Jason and, and Carrie and, and all them they 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 graduated and you were kind of left alone. Um, but I, I still remember like there was so much time where we were working on stuff, trying to figure things out. And that one year where it was just basically the two of us, you were like, oh, I guess I'll have to figure out how to do everyone's job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh, that's engineering, right? Like you can you can kind of figure out. You you know just enough to be dangerous. So yeah. you're like I can figure out I can figure out how to do this because yeah. just un, unbridled confidence in my ability to learn how to do something, um, which always ends up with more work. So <laughs> that's a really good point. One of these, unbridled one of these decades, yeah, one of these decades, I'm going to figure out how to not do that. But I don't no, know what but that's what got you here. The unbridled confidence mm-hmm. that your ability to learn how to do something, I think, is what you just said, and I I love that. I mean. Do you think that's something that you had innate as like a kid and, and going through high school? So I think, um, I think I've always had it and it's always been reset at, or it's been reset a few times in my life. Like I, I was the valedictorian of my high school. Um, it turns out high school is different than college. <laughs> like I remember, I remember getting my first, like you get like midterm grades or something and they weren't all straight A's. And I was like, Oh wait, this is harder than I thought it was. Um, maybe I'm not the smartest person involved in this whole process. And then <clears throat> I go out into the working world and I'm like, okay, this job is pretty easy because it's an entry level job at a big company, right? I, I can, I can do all of this. I'm, I'm very smart. And then I eventually went to Google and I was like, all of these people are smarter than me. <laughs> um, so, um, now, now I kind of look for opportunities. Like as soon as I start to feel like I'm becoming, you know, there's less and less that I can learn. Yeah. I, I go look for for ways to like do something I don't know how to do um, because otherwise you just get stale. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like recognizing that I had that took a while. Um, but now that I realize I have that, it's a it's an opportunity to like know that I can go try something new, be bad at it for a while, and hopefully get a little better. Do you see that also in your wife, knowing that that she's not 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 in a similar pathway, but also an engineer? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she's. Um, like she's way smarter than I am. Like she can explain to you like how electronic propulsion works or like how rockets get to orbit and stay there. Um, it's like math and stuff. Like I just say it's falling really fast and missing the earth. She's like, well, actually it's, she's quick. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think she really, she, she definitely understands, um, far more than most people understand about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in a situation now at this smaller company, um, where, everyone is super smart on like the rocket side. Like they, they understand deeply how their various components work and she's a systems engineer. So she has to kind of work with all these super smart people to kind of integrate everything together. Yeah, the integration. And so she's, she's in, she's in the, the breadth of knowledge kind of phase right now. So she feels like she doesn't necessarily um, know the depth of any one thing, but she knows kind of how everything's supposed to work together, which is a very useful thing. Hey everyone, this is Paul. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know about a new feature we just unlocked. It's about sending us questions or comments via text. If you go to your podcast player, check the show notes. There's a link there that says, send us a question or comment. It may be on our next episode. So go in there, send us a little quick text message. Let us know what your questions are. Let us know what your comments are. We'd love to hear from you. So we can't wait to see it. Now back to the episode. Now, did you and Lisa meet at Boeing? We did, yeah, at uh, Boeing in Seal Beach. 
we both wow. worked on the on the same program. There was kind of this whole uh, they hired a bunch of people um, the the basically the year I graduated that had all just freshly graduated from various schools all over the place. And a lot of us are still very few of us are still at that Boeing location, but um, a lot of us are still friends and we get together um, whenever we're in the same place. This is that whole like group of guys uh, uh, that I've met. Uh, uh, Garrett oh, yeah. And yeah. All it's, those. Yeah. Garrett and John and yes. everybody you would meet at like an orange picking party at our house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All those things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, where did Lisa go to school? Lisa went to school at uh, Rochester Institute of Technology. RIT. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. She was, uh, she lived in Arizona and wanted to get as far away as possible from Arizona. So she went said, to the New tundra. York. Yeah, New York is a cool place, <laughs> and then it was buried in snow. So yeah, yeah, just ice. That's all I can think about with Rochester. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you two uh, when you compare? Because obviously she's around a lot of different people now in Southern California and all those different things. How does she compare your two undergraduate experiences? Um, or you two? How she, do you do? Not she, but both of you. When you talk about it, so. A thing that, that she wishes she had done more of is uh, more software. Mm. Um, we actually we actually met at Boeing trying to um, do data analysis using like Perl and SQL script. And um, you're just writing a romantic comedy right now, right? Perl and SQL. It was a faded day. But but so yeah. So she like when she went to school, computer science, like they all had an intro to, to computer science as part of mechanical and aerospace engineering, but they never had like anything in more depth. And she's like, here's the she basics of programming. She yeah. More, more depth than that. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Makes sense. Makes sense. So coming from Southern California then, and really being here most of your life, how is it mm-hmm. moving up to Seattle and being in that environment? Um, so we love it. Like I'm, Kind of like Paul said, you know, Lisa survived Rochester, New York, so no, no winter is scary for her. Right. Um, and and I don't really tan as much as I burn. Um, and my kids are almost see through, so <laughs> we we enjoy not being in the sun all the time. Um, but also, like it's it's nice because we're we're still in the mode, even five years in, of worrying about something's going to be crowded, and then we remember that there's like seven million people in the whole state. And that's less than there is in LA area. So mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be super crowded. Um, so is it's, it's really nice. There's more people in LA than in the entire state of Washington. I think so. The last wow. time I checked, I mean, wow. Seattle is definitely the most condensed part, but we live probably 40 minutes east of Seattle. Um, so yeah, you would, if you just like were airdropped into our house, you would not know that Seattle was 20 miles away. Wow. Yeah, you you yeah. mean Chris? Uh, we talk about this a lot, but Audrey has spent a lot of time up in Seattle because yes. she has been interning for Microsoft up there. Oh, cool! Yes, we, we, we know. Had, we... Oh, I was just going to say we had a series of podcasts where there was a lot of Seattle talk, so we had to we had to trim it down. <laughs> we had to cut back, so now we're back on it. But, but there, there was go. there's this um, that's that's right. This last summer, it was like we, we, you felt like almost everyone you knew from USC was yeah. interning in Seattle. Yeah, there's so many companies up there now, so it's yep. crazy. Yeah, there's a huge like influx of people, especially from the Bay Area, but yeah. to some extent Southern California also. Like Facebook is huge up here and growing. Amazon is obviously huge and growing up here. Um, Microsoft is obviously enormous. 
right. and still growing up here. Um, Google, I mean, we just we just announced that we bought an entire like building complex, um, and wow. like we're we're landlords now. Plus, we have office space. Oh <laughs> um, wow! <laughs> and like we're building in South Lake Union, like it's going out of style. So yeah, it's, it's definitely the the place where people are coming to escape, kind of the the Bay Area to, to a big extent. Now, um, uh, I'm, cu- I'm curious, there, there's a lot of legend and lore about the, the culture of working at Google. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so I think a lot of our listeners would be interested, like, what's, what's it like to work at Google? It's, it's kind of a really open-ended question, but no one can see you because we're not, we're not going to be posting this video at all, but we're talking yeah. over video chat. Is it required to wear a Google t-shirt to Google every day, or do you just happen to be right <laughs> uh, now? <laughs> it's, it's not. I am doing it right now. I'm wearing my Google accessibility shirt. But, that's uh, a cool shirt. I haven't seen that I'm, one, by the way. That's yeah. really cool. Um, part of the reason I'm doing that is I'm this week, I'm part of the on-call interviewer program. So basically if, if an interviewer gets sick or something like that, um, they will ping me minutes before the interview is supposed to start usually. And I'll have to show up and interview somebody for 45 minutes. So I like to wear Google shirts when I do that. Also, there's an entire drawer of my dresser full of of Google (laughs) t-shirts. If I, if I wear anything other than a t-shirt of any kind to work, my, my manager gets a little worried that I might be interviewing somewhere else. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I try not, I try not to, not to do that. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've been at Google since 2011 with a two year break, um, partway between. So like Google in 2011 was a very different company than Google in 2020. Um, mostly in terms of the size. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't remember exactly how many people we have right now um, or what we've announced, but we have, we have a lot more people than we had in, uh, in 2011. So, um, and I've never worked at the main headquarters in Mountain View or Northern California. So I can only speak to kind of the, the experience in uh, what we would call remote offices. So like mm-hmm. the, the Irvine office was like 200 ish people, I think when I, when I started there and now I think it's closer to 400. Um, and so for a while, like we all basically knew everybody, um, and we mostly worked on, on one set of products. And so we all had this kind of shared experience and it was always kind of the, uh, the, not, not us against them, but constantly trying to prove yourself to make sure that like your office didn't get closed. Um, (laughs) not that I ever think that was a, a real situation that could happen, but like you kind of have that. Um, and that's actually not unique in my career, like I've never worked, I realized a while ago, I've never worked at a company's headquarters in my whole career. Um, huh. I've always worked at a remote office. Um, so like Boeing, Seal Beach is obviously not small, right. but it's not Boeing in Seattle right. or Boeing in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Applied Signal Technology, which wasn't a big company when I joined it in the first place, but our office in Anaheim Hills had 10 people when I started mm. um, and about 25 when I left. So like, one of those people was the CEO, so we knew that it was never going to be closed. But, um, <laughs> but it wasn't like like we had huge offices traveling all the time. Um, but yeah, so like remote offices, in my experience at least, you always have to prove prove yourself constantly because you're not there in person, right? And now with the the world of video chat, it's gotten a lot easier. Um, but it's still kind of like this: if you're out of sight, out of mind, you want to make sure you're not out of sight. Um, yeah. But so I, um, so going back to your question about like kind of the experience of Google, um, obviously there's over a hundred thousand people here. Everybody has kind of their own experience. Um, my experiences have been very, very good. I've been very lucky. Um, and I, 
I really enjoy the challenges and the, um, the, just the people I get to work with who are, like I said before, like super, super smart. And the infrastructure that we, that we work on is amazing. Like second, second to none, in my opinion. Like I, the reason I left to go work at smaller companies, um, for a while at Google was, uh, I realized that the outside world had come a very long way in things like distributed computing, um, with things like AWS and Azure and, and GCP. So, um, trying to figure out whether we could build something as cool as what I was building in Google on something like that was, was an interesting challenge to me. And what I learned, what I learned about that very quickly was, uh, the most interesting challenge that I don't really have to a huge extent at Google is uh, trying to minimize costs upfront. Mm. So like in ad, like I work in, in the ad business, right? So we, we obviously spend a lot of money on machines to make a lot of money in ads and we're working very hard on being efficient in that spend. But when I worked at smaller companies, it was like, could I do this query? It's going to cost X amount of dollars on AWS. <laughs> like, is that a system we can build? Yeah. And the answer is often no. Yeah. So like you get to go back to these first principles of computer science to some extent of like compression and optimization that you just don't have to do right up front at Google because it's just like, well, how many more machines do you need? <laughs> we, we just have them. So, well, that was so going to yeah. be my next question, which is what are you working on? Are you, are you specifically working on, on ads? Yeah. So I've worked, I've worked within the ads product area my whole career at Google. Um, so I started on Google analytics, um, which is, yeah. Software we basically give away for free for people to figure out the performance of their own websites or their own apps. Um, for our advertisers, there's a there's a tight integration that I helped build um, a long time ago to get your advertising data into your analytics data so you can measure the performance of your advertising in a more more efficient way. Um, I then worked on attribution related systems, which are very interesting. Trying to figure out, trying to reverse engineer essentially what what advertising events get what amount of credit for you say buying something on a website hmm. um, all in a world with imperfect information yeah, um, did this ad now, make your money did, did this the, the, this ad produce this amount of revenue there's these calculations that are done with the ad attributed to your your overall sales right and so there's there's this idea of last click attribution which is basically the the last ad you clicked on before converting is the one that gets all the credit hmm. um, which is great if you are only showing your ads in one place and aren't trying to build awareness or anything like that higher yeah. in the funnel. That's not how ads um, work. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of very non-technical reasons why, uh, why the measurement is the way it is today. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, that could be a whole dissertation. <laughs> um, I bet. But, uh, but yeah, so now, now I work on kind of two systems, um, both very attached to machine learning. Um, I, I'll say up front that I am not the person who is building the the, the super smart uh, math behind the machine learning itself, but I'm the one who helps get the massive amount of data in that they need to get in, scale it to a way that it doesn't like take forever to run at kind of a, a reasonable price. Mm -hmm. So I kind of build the infrastructure around machine learning for both um, bit optimization and some other uh, things that we haven't quite launched yet. Um, well, yeah, so with, with, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. So with, with bit optimization, what we're, what we're trying to do is basically say, if you're, if you're a simple, simplified uh, model would be an advertiser's running, you know, a thousand keywords, trying to drive a particular kind of conversion at a particular return on their advertising spend, hmm. right? So they want to, they want to spend a dollar to make $10. Yeah. Um, 
And so what we do is we, we look at the historical performance of each one of those keywords against that metric. And from a very simple perspective, we put more money behind the keywords that are doing better and take that money away from the keywords that are doing worse um, within various constraints. Um, and the within various constraints part is the, is the tricky part. <laughs> like yeah. the machine learning part on that is actually somewhat straightforward. It's the control theory that sits on top of it that, that interacts with the machine learning that becomes very interesting. Very. What would you want people to know about ads that maybe don't understand all of the technical issues behind it? Because I think that in, in, in a kind of a, a, a lay person's general sense of ads, I think there's a pretty split. I'm going to just take a shot here. There's a pretty split idea of 50-50 of people that hate ads and people that are like, no, I, I want to see the ads that make more sense to me. Um, but overall, you know, ads can get annoying. I know you're not in charge of ad placement no. or, uh, these pop-ups or anything like that, that I'm sure people no. associate with ads, but what would you want people to know from, from your perspective on the back end no. as what you're trying to do with ads at, at Google? So the, the, the way I kind of look at it, and this is me speaking for me, um, is, is without, without advertising in general, the web would be a very, a very different place, yeah. right? Publishers would not be able to put content online for free or mm -hmm high quality content online for free, right? Yeah. Like you would, you would have plenty of user generated content. Um, but, but lots, lots of systems that we, that we take for granted today would not, would not exist yeah. um, because they would not be monetizable. That being said, there are, there are, there are bad actors in the advertising world. Um, and there are, we'll say indifferent actors in the advertising world. And then there's what, what we hope to be, or at least what I, what I hope to be like, again, I'm speaking for myself um, is, trying to balance like we have we have there's three parties in every in every advertising transaction right there's the advertiser the publisher which is wherever the ad is shown and the user right mm -hmm. and at, at google we say you know focus on the user and all else will follow and as long as we keep that in mind right we we can um hopefully ensure a good experience at least on the advertising that we are are in charge of mm -hmm. um i can say that there are there are tons of controls in place and decisions that are made that are, are not revenue optimizing on our side every day that improves the user experience because it's what's better. Mm -hmm. um, it's what's better as a company in the long term too. And so what, uh, like I, I worked on a system for helping advertisers. One of, to me, at least one of the, the most annoying kinds of, of advertising is called retargeting or remarketing, yep. which is when you, the worst, <laughs> the worst example of it is when you buy something and then that thing shows up and follows you all around the web. Yeah, <clears throat> because because the signal that you purchased it never made it to that advertiser, and those advertisers are trying to be the last click before you buy something because they saw that you put it in your shopping cart. Right, uh, and so they're trying to get credit even though they don't realize that you already bought it. So I I helped build something where you could use Google Analytics data as a as an advertiser to inject that signal into various advertising systems so that you would know that it had been purchased and you could stop wasting your money advertising. Right. Um, so those are the kind of well-meaning but annoying ads that, right. that annoy me the most. And there were several advertisers that I remember. It would always be around uh, the holidays when I would be looking for stuff. And my mom would be like, what do you want for Christmas or whatever? And I'd look stuff up on the online and like put it in my cart because you had to put it in your cart to see how much it actually cost. Right. And then say, yes, I want this thing. And then it would follow me around the web forever. Yeah. Um, when I got to work on something that helped make that go away, it was, that was <laughs> But again, that's only for the advertising that that advertisers use that feature on. Right. Totally. Cool.
I have to run to class, but it was so nice speaking with you, Chris. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, Audrey had a hard out. She's got to go to an old student thing. I, we'll keep talking. I about understand. Look forward to hearing the rest of it. <laughs> so pressure's on us to be interesting. <laughs> um, so when when you go back to that idea of, you know, you're you're at you, you're at this place now where you've done so many different things. You've been in so many different companies. Um, you you you. I think you get a real big. big to put words in your mouth, but something you've been talking about a lot has been like corporate culture and kind of getting to know people and finding that right environment and doing something that's fulfilling to you. How do you, how do you talk to a high school student now that wants your uh, sense of nirvana, <laughs> that, 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 that tra transcendentalism that you seem to have, uh, have acquired, um, but they want it now, right? And, and, and does that speak to you when you look back at yourself, like you wanted to know the answer of what you're going to do back in the day, or were you okay just being flexible? So I, I was, I had totally made up my mind. Um, I thought back in the day, um, but I speak, so I still like, uh, the, the Turby ambassador thing kind of rubbed off on me. I realized, um, <laughs> like I still, we have this, we have this program now called university programs extended, yeah. which is like, there's, there's only so many recruiters or university program specialists that Google has. But now we, they basically just train us engineers to go do yeah. the same thing that they would do at other schools. Um, like they would always have us out for panels, but now they have us basically run the whole interaction. Oh, cool. And so, so we go, there's a, a satellite campus of the University of Washington in Bothell, which is just north of our office in Kirkland. And so we went and did a whole series there on just like how to get a job in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so like it's, it's one of those things where um, I think the, the key thing for me to realize is that like, you just have to be flexible. Um, the, the things, the things that I do now, like it related to machine learning when I was in college were things that we said, you know, that, that all of the academic literature said was like, this would work, but there's no way we have enough machines to do this ever. Yeah. Right. And now it's like, oh yeah, we, we build those neural networks and it just, it just works. Yeah. We're beyond Moore's so, law like, now. Yeah. Well, and to some extent, Moore's law is going away right. because we can't, we can't build the silicon that fast, but now we're going back to building these custom processors again, which is what we did 30 years ago to, uh, to do stuff. So like, um, everything, like everything old is new again, is kind of the, the thing I've always heard. And when I, when I worked at applied signal technology, one of the, our chief technical officer was a guy who had been working in the communication space, like phone and internet forever. And he would run a class describing like how the phone system works. And it would start with like how Alexander Graham Bell hooked up the first telephone <laughs> and how nothing has ever changed since then. Right. Like the fundamentals underlying how circuit switch networks work are the fundamentals underlying how circuit switch networks work. And the, the intermediate spots are just details that keep changing to be more efficient over time. But under, underneath it all, the process is still the same. And so I think this, this idea of, the key thing that I took away essentially by accident from school, like from college was to, to learn how to learn and to learn how to like be comfortable, not knowing something, knowing that you can configure it out yeah. because that's what you're going to have to do your whole life. Um, today, the thing I'm most jealous of in terms of like high school and, and college students are uh, like GitHub exists, right? Like mm. all of these, all of these resources that are available, um, to just try stuff out at a scale that like was never possible when I was a kid. Um, 
and so that that kind of stuff is really exciting and like the the idea of like the whole maker community um is something i wish i had more time to do mm-hmm. um but like we like my daughter wants a claw machine and the one we got her for christmas broke like immediately so I was like we can build one of these and it's gonna take forever because <laughs> i don't have a lot of time yeah. but um like doing that kind of stuff and being able to figure it out is, is super cool and having kind of the ability to do that at you know in college at a makerspace or at work we're lucky enough to have makerspaces in all of our offices up here mm-hmm. um is, is pretty cool so like taking advantage of the resources that you have now um is, is amazing that's great um what's funny is we haven't released it yet um but we just did an interview with uh tracy dooley uh i think who you, who you may remember and um mm-hmm there's a lot of parallels to your conversation with hers. Uh, and with hers, it was a lot of every one of her transitions, whether they're professional or otherwise, were all about like this idea of seeking rigor and finding reward and then moving on to new rigor. And, and so that, that's very similar in, in this parallel. And that's something that I find um, as a, as a thread among USC students is this idea of like, yeah, I, I just want to do something that's interesting. I want to go find that next big thing not not for the sake of success necessarily, but for the understanding of like, I, I really like doing this and I want to find something new. And, and that's a thread that, that has gone through your undergraduate time here and also in your professional life. And it's, it's definitely, it just makes you a, a different person. And, and there's so many worries from a high school student's perspective of, um, I, don't, I don't want to be a stereotypical engineer. I'm like, yeah, I get that. And you're not going to be if you if you follow these main principles, like, do you like doing things to to solve that puzzle? Do you want to go forward and do different things? You're not going to be some, you know, for lack of a better term, some some nerdy geek on a computer in a cubicle. Um, but if you're going after things and doing things that are going to be fulfilling, like you, you enjoy this, there's a feedback loop. It's going to be great. And that's what our students do all the time. Yeah, yeah I was so I came back uh, last like a year ago, I think in January. Mm-hmm. Um, to give a talk at Google or for Google at USC. Mm-hmm. And um, we were with a group called Code the Change, yeah. which I had never even heard of. And those people are great so group. inspiring. Yeah. It's this cross-functional group of students who are trying to like build software to, to build like social change. Um, and like, it's, it's exactly what you do in the real world. Like they've got UX designers and product managers and software engineers, but like everybody's talking about like how they're going to solve the problem. Like the, the, the programming aspect of software engineering is like the last part. Yeah. Um, to, to almost every extent, like there, there are people, um, and who are far smarter than me, um, who are just, they fundamentally change the way that like computer science works. Um, I'm much more on what I would call like the engineering side of it, where I take the pieces that they've built and put them together in a way to solve the problem that I have. Mm. Right. Um, like there's there's definitely room for both kinds of both kinds of people there, but I I find it much more fulfilling to work with other people and like build build something out of a bunch of other smaller something. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and I, I don't want to keep you too long either. But is there anything else that you wanted to to chat about, or anything else that that uh, we didn't? I think we went we went pretty soup to nuts on 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 your time here, but I'm, I don't know if we've missed anything. Yeah, I mean. Um, <laughs> so I, I heard Jason talk about uh, Steve Schrader, who I'm glad is still there. <laughs> He's still there. I, still that, 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 that triggered me to remember uh, the, the time he told me not to take CS402 and EE457 at the same time, which is the, the operating yeah. systems class and the microprocessors yeah, class. Two, two giant senior capstone design classes that are designed to take up so much of your time. 
yeah, we were smart. We decided we were smarter than Steve and we took him anyway. Um, and I, I distinctly remember having a midterm or a final or something for EE 357 that was in the computer science building and then going immediately with my roommate and our two other friends who were like, the only reason we were all taking this together is because we wanted to make sure we could take it together because they were group projects and we wanted to be in the same group. Mm-hmm. And we went immediately over to the computer lab to, to try to write the virtual memory system for our operating system. And we spent hours and we must have left at five in the morning and we're like, okay, we'll, we'll pick this up tomorrow morning and figure out what it looks like. And we come back and we look at the comments and the code and we're like, yes, these comments describe exactly what we were supposed to do. And the code is just completely unrelated to what the comments <laughs> say. <laughs> like, well, I guess maybe we shouldn't have taken these two classes together. We I'll, eventually got it to work. But, I'll take yeah. that opportunity to tell any one of our first year students when an advisor tells you that's not a good idea or no, you shouldn't do that. It's not because of some sort of odd bureaucratic rule that like we want to impose some sort of restriction on our students because I think so many of our students come from high schools where like high school say you can't do that. They're like, well, but I did it anyway. And look how great I am. When you come to college, we're not doing it just for the sake of like, (laughs) like, Oh, a lesser person would not do that. It's like, no, that's really not a good idea. We are looking out for you. Like do whatever you want, dude. But like th- this is this is this is a good plan. Follow this plan, and trust me. And I say this sometimes to students all the time. You're not the first version of you I've met. Like I, I've had this conversation twenty different times, and yep. when I say this isn't a good idea, it's for it's for your benefit. It's not it's not for me. It's not for me at all. Yeah, and I'll, I'll second. I mean, get to know your advisor because they can work magic. Also, like yeah. I. <laughs> I, I may or may not have gotten out of a 400 level math elective with an accounting class that happened to be 400 level. <laughs> Don't so, make any promises now for old <laughs> rules that may not be in place anymore. <laughs> but I'm just saying, make friends with your advisor and listen to them because they will be very helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Chris, I can't uh, thank you enough for taking the time to do this, especially upon the rescheduling and the snowpocalypse that you've been uh, dealing with up there, your, your massive amounts of snow and, um, and also, thank you again. I mean, you're obviously very involved as, as an alumnus and, and obviously uh, with the, helping with the scholarship fund that I know you just made a, a big impact on this last year. And so I, I'm sorry I wasn't here that day uh, again. I apologize. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll see each other soon. And um, you've always been such a great impact on this place since, since I started uh, as a current student, as a graduate student, as an alum. And, and even today, I, I know that I can ring you up and say, hey, what's up? And, and that's always really helpful. So thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you doing this. Yeah, no worries. I really enjoyed it. Cool, man. All right, we'll, we'll let you know when we get this up. Sounds good. Okay. Talk later. Bye-bye. See ya. Welcome back. <laughs> That well, was a fun one. That was me. a fun one. I like these alumni series, other than the the fact that you do have to sit through all this reminiscing <laughs> uh, Glory Day stuff, which we did a little bit less of in this one, I think. Yes. Uh, well, it's actually been kind of interesting, like the reminiscing in mm-hmm. different years, you know? I've kind oh, of yeah. gotten a sense of like the 1999, 2000s range, <laughs> and then like a little later. What's so the biggest cool. difference? Um... Well, I've, is there a difference? I've noticed like that first group of I I guess ESAs. I don't know what. They're yeah, they were originally called engineering student ambassadors. Engineering student ambassadors. Yeah, because we weren't named the Viterbi School until until two thousand four. Okay, right, right. And so I still it remember. Makes sense. I, this is now more reminiscing. I still remember the the ambassador meeting where I said, "Okay, you all have been called ESAs. 
we've now been called the Viterbi School of Engineering. What should we call you? What do you want to be named? And there was like a debate. Do we stay the ESAs? Do we turn into the VSAs? Do we go into the VESAs? Ooh, I'm glad you didn't choose the Vesas. <laughs> it's like Vespa without a P. <laughs> <laughs> but it was quickly resolved to be VSAs. Okay, great. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted. Oh, I was just, it's interesting hearing, talking to like a bunch of that first class because they all know each other super mm-hmm. well. And then um, in some later episodes. That, oh, that we haven't gotten to yeah. yet. Yeah. Tease. Uh, oh, look at the tease. I know. Um, there's some a little bit more recent alumni, so yeah. just kind of seeing the shift too. Yeah, and I think too, it's it's cool to see the growth of Viterbi uh-huh. um, too. I know, like for me as a perspective student, that was one thing I was really excited about. I felt like USC was a school that was like really <laughs> putting in a hundred percent to just keep doing more things, and yeah. I think you can kind of hear that in these conversations. Totally, totally. Um, what was Chris is obviously every, every one of these uh, alums are different people. And of course I'm comparing all of them that we haven't released some of them yet, but um, what do you think is the difference between Chris and some of the other ones? Is there a difference? Uh, I mean, to me, obviously he's, he's a brilliant guy. I think he's one of those like really hard workers, like behind the scenes. Like it's very much like uh, he's going to do what, whatever you need of him. And when you start asking questions, like when we got into that question about what he's working on now with ads, Mm -hmm. it was like, you could see his eyes change, right? Where it's like, he got into like, he knows every single corner of that space really, really well. Right. Yeah. That's when you immediately ask that question, that's what I was going to say. I think really just strikes me as someone super knowledgeable and invested in his work Mm -hmm. and excited about it. Um, and it's cool to see, I mean, he's been in industry for a while working for, you know, Google for quite some time if you count um, yeah. kind of the whole time he was right. there. Um, so it's cool. It's exciting to see um, that he still sort of has that fire, right? Yeah, so. totally. Like he just totally digs going to work and solving these problems. Yeah. Like I'm, he's like, I'm going to figure it out. We're going to figure this out. We're going to make sure we do it the right way. Um, and I feel like that was always Chris's thing. And it's really interesting to compare Chris and Jason because I kind of think of them always together but they're very different people, Mm -hmm. you know, Jason. And and obviously their careers have gone in those very different stages, both equally successful. Um, But Jason is very much the like story guy and the, you know, all about the, the artistic elements of computer science and the applications therein. And Chris is the, like, I'm going to make whatever your idea, I'm going to make it work. We're going to make it actually work out and you don't need to know all the details, but I will know all the details. And I think that's one of his greatest qualities in addition to just being a a great guy. Yeah. So definitely a a good lesson and, I know a lot of people are interested in these sort of fields. So. Totally. I like the contrast between the two, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, let's, uh, I don't know if there's anything else we need to talk about. Is there anything we need to talk about? I mean, it's, it's February. It's freezing. Well. I know you don't <laughs> think it's freezing because you're from I Colorado. I think it's cold. I think it's cold. Was it like negative 13 in Colorado yesterday or something like that? Somewhere in Denver? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I, sh- I need to call my mom. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm freezing. I wake up and walk the dog. It's 40 degrees. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I've been wearing, I've been wearing a down coat. I'm not going to lie. It's cold. <laughs> it is cold. Yeah. I rarely have like the heater on in my house overnight. And I'm like, no, I need it yeah. on all night. Like it's freezing. Although I feel like it's been really nice during the day. Yeah, totally. I so. But I guess I haven't been, haven't had a chance to like warm up. So even wait. though it's like 60 or 61 during the day, it's like, I'm still cold. Right. You never like get that. Yeah. Get that temperature. Yeah. And I love how people are probably mocking me right now yeah, by listening to this <laughs> for whatever other temperature they're in. This is Southern California temperature. And so I know that I'm spoiled, but I'm still freezing right now. 
you kind of like come to expect living in Southern California that it's just perfect all the time though. So yes. any like mild deviation from that's just upsetting. Yes. It's supposed to be cold when it hits the fifties. We're not supposed to live in the forties. That's just not what we do. Yeah. Well, hopefully it gets warmer. We're all hoping for Paul. <laughs> it gets warmer. I swear. Just yeah, let's let's start a GoFundMe account. Let's make sure we get this <laughs> work. I don't know if we can, you know, I don't know. Well, I think it'll warm up. I think it'll work. I think it'll warm up um, eventually. <laughs> I think so. Something relevant is probably application status. Um, we have a lot of applications that everyone involved in admission is reading right now. And it, it, it's it's hard because for students that have applied, first off, thank you for applying. Uh, second off, I understand how horrible it is to be in this like void, this vacuum of information. Um but unfortunately, it's just kind of the nature of it. Yeah. Um, there's all this contact prior to application. Like, don't forget to apply. Don't forget to do this. And then once you've applied, we do send a, hey, thanks for applying. Um, but then it's there's nothing. And, and that's not on purpose. It's not that we don't care anymore. But it's just that we're spending all of our time and energy, like, going into the applications and reading them and quite literally arguing about them, uh, given some of my conversations that I've had lately uh, with some of my colleagues. Uh, and, and that's all good. That's for the benefit of the students, but that means that the others, th that's all in this like really closed black box environment. And so we had, you know, nearly 13,000 applications this year. Um, we have for the first year class, uh, we've got about 1200 or so for the transfer class. Um, uh, cause we just passed the, the transfer application deadline. And so we're right on par with where we need to be. We've got a lot of great applications, which means that we have to go through and make a lot of tough decisions. And that's what we're doing. Um, we, some people may know that in, at the end of January, we released our, uh, the university released the admission decisions for a small amount of students that are being, being considered as finalists for our top merit scholarships. And those students have already known and they're already registering to come out to visit campus and also, um, uh, when they come to campus, they'll have an interview to, to decide which scholarship uh, they will receive, if any, because it's a, it's a finalist, it's a competition. Um, and that's all happening. We're going to be having these, these students visit over the next couple of weeks. And then the rest, then everyone else we're still reading and making decisions on. We're not going to be able to have decisions out till the end of March. And so that last week in March is where, when we're going to let everybody know. For the transfer students in the process, um, there are a number of you that have submitted the common application and that's fantastic. And then you need to get us kind of the rest of the information, like transcripts, uh, so that we know from every institution that you've ever attended, which is important. Even if it was 10 years ago you attended a college, we need to see that transcript. Um, and then we will get to that review process kind of shortly thereafter we finish up the first-year process, and we will get decisions out by the end of May. And so we, decisions or a request for spring grades. And so you can go back and, and listen to our transfer episode on, on more of that detail. But that means that there's not a lot of information to give. You could always log into admission.usc.edu slash status. If you'd like to learn more, if you want to see if you, we have everything that we have asked you for, or if you're missing any documents, um, please log in there and you can check that out. You can also submit things on that portal for us to, to see. Um, but that's, that's really it. That's all we can do. And we'll be back in touch in the, based on those deadlines. So that's where we are in our admission process. Very a, yeah. Well, it's, it's not to them, but they should probably know cause they get, they get uh, nervous. I don't miss that. Although, I think you reach a point, I remember from senior year of high school, where you kind of just live in the bliss of not knowing. Not knowing, right? That's what I try yeah. to tell students to do. Like, just apply and then just forget about it. I know that's impossible, but. Yeah. I've gotten really great at that in college. Like, take a test, forget, forget about, about it. it. <laughs> yeah, it's done. You cannot change anything in the past. Exactly. Just move forward. This is true. Very true. Right. All right. Well, my advice to all those students is to. Hang in there. 
<laughs> to live in the bliss. Live in the bliss. Live yeah. in the bliss of the unknown. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, we should probably wrap this one up. Might as well. But <laughs> thanks, everyone. Thank you.